Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, We're going to see if we can make it down to verse 8 this evening. Let's stand together before you get too comfortable, and let's read our text this evening. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand." John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, begotten means firstborn there, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us. Aren't you glad he loved us? and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail or mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Father, thank you that you are the Almighty One. Thank you, Lord, that you still love us with an everlasting love. You gave yourself for us. And Lord, we rejoice and celebrate that every time we come together. Lord, I pray you'd stir our hearts as we look into this special passage. In Jesus' name, let your glory come down. Lord, let us see you high and lifted up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. We started this series last week agreeing that things are pretty messed up right now, pretty backward in this world right now. However, we affirmed that God is still on the throne, and that means that one day everything is going to be set straight, okay? And that is why we study, that's why we study the book of Revelation, It is meant to remind us that although a lot of things are being shaken, the true foundation isn't shaken. True justice isn't forsaken. True judgment isn't forgotten. It may seem unlikely in our day and time, but rest assured, righteousness is going to win the day. Amen? And that is precisely what John told us last week in our study. Last week I began with the example, if you recall, of going into a bookstore, looking at books and making a decision as to whether or not 
a particular book was worth reading. And when we do that, I mentioned how we'll look at the title of the book. We'll look at the author. I usually look at the credits. I, I'll open up to the inside cover maybe and glance at the preview or, or read the introduction or the foreword. And based upon that information, make a decision as to whether that book is worthy of our time to read it and our focus. And that's precisely the information John is giving us here in the first eight verses of chapter one of this book of Revelation. He's giving us six pieces of information regarding the book. And we saw three of those points last week. Let's recap the title. We looked at that from Revelation 1.1, the first phrase there. It says the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. So let's not get confused as to what this book is really all about. This book is meant to reveal none other than Jesus Christ. Okay, so if you come and you try to find out who the Antichrist is, you're missing the purpose. I'm sorry. Christ walked this earth for 33 years in virtual obscurity. Yes, he was popular. Yes, he was controversial at that time. And yes, he was still virtually unrecognized. By and large, the world missed him. Isaiah prophesied that it would be that way all the way back in Isaiah chapter 53. He said, who hath believed our report? To whom uh, hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? He is despised, he is rejected, we esteemed him not, okay? The world saw Christ when he came as a carpenter, as a teacher, as a blasphemer. In the end, they saw him as a criminal dying on a cross. But Christ wanted for his followers, remember? He prayed that the Father would show his followers his true glory, the book of Revelation is the answer to that prayer, okay? This book reveals the real, glorified, eternal Jesus. Then we went to number two, the audience. He said he, this is given to show unto his servants. We mentioned there in the Greek, it is bondservants. So we are informed that this message given in the book of Revelation. How many know it's not really intended for the world? The Gospels are for the world. This revealed message is for believers, Christ's bondservants. That means those who have surrendered their lives to Christ's lordship. It's a book meant to encourage them. It's to encourage the faithful. It is to enlighten the confused and meant to exhort the spiritually discouraged to press in and press on. This book is for the redeemed. So if you are a bondservant of Christ and you'd like to see the real Jesus in all of his glory and see his plan for redeeming this world and how it's all going to shake out, then this book is the one you want to read. And if that's not enough, John even gave us a promise. Number three, we talked about the promise, Revelation 1-3. Blessed is he that readeth 
And they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Now, the promise is not, let me say it this way, the promise is one of the blessings, and one of those is happiness. I think that's one way you can translate that word blessed there. Blessed is he that readeth. Happy is he that readeth. <clears throat> and, and you say, well, it, it sure covers a lot of scary stuff. But see, this will make the believer happy partly because this book reveals the good news that Christ wins in the end. Partly because this book gives detailed instruction of how to handle the coming temptation so that we will know how to persevere in our souls and be blessed for all eternity. See, how many know that's kind of vital information? That's valuable information. Knowing it, following it, is the path to eternal blessings and happiness. And this evening we're looking now at the next three. We've seen the title, the audience, and the promise. Now we're going into new territory right now. Number four on your worksheet, the author. Revelation 1 and 4 through 5a, because this is really more than just the author. It's, it's, it is the complete bibliography. Okay, Everyone who had any input in the information stated in the book of Revelation is listed here for us to see. We want the authors to have credentials, don't we? And we want their sources to be valid, don't we? Otherwise, what's the point? Right? We aren't reading a book about football written by somebody who never played the game. Right? So here we find the author and we find his sources. Now, of course, the simple answer, notice on your study guide, when looking for the author, is to say John. Somebody say John. John wrote it. Now, this would have been John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. This is John the Apostle. He was one of the sons of thunder in the Gospels. His brother was James, and together they were quite a duo. They were famous. You recall they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. They were famous for having their mother come and ask if each of them could sit one on either side of Christ when he comes into the kingdom. Okay, we're talking about that John. Okay? But he's also famous because he loved Christ passionately. He and his brother. They were handpicked by Christ to be uh, disciples, and Christ then takes their raw passion, their blind ambition, and literally transforms it over three years into two of the greatest men of God that our world ever knew. And I suppose the first question should be, why should we listen to John? Well, there's a couple passages that indicate why. First of all, because John was an apostle. What's that mean? That means he was an eyewitness of our resurrected Lord. He was 
part of the group to whom Christ said in John 20, 21, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he hath said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And this is what he goes on to say, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This didn't indicate the power of forgiveness because no one can do that except God. It did, however, indicate authority to announce who was and who wasn't forgiven. See, the office of the original apostles was a very unique office of authority by which these men literally broadcasted the truths and the judgments of God. And as they penned the New Testament, and as they began to die and pass from the scene, the New Testament became our source of authority in their stead. Okay? So John was an apostle in the original sense of the word, uniquely given authority to write Scripture. Couple with that, we all remember the statement Christ made regarding his plans for John. After revealing to Peter that he would die in an undesirable death, remember that? He predicted Peter's own death. Peter sees John walk by him and asks Christ, well, what about John's fate? Remember that little story? To which Christ looks at Peter and he says, wait a minute. If I want him to remain until I come... What is that to thee? Follow thou me. That didn't indicate that John would live forever, but in hindsight, it helps us understand Christ's plan for John that he was going to see the revelation. And John was clearly, I believe, a hand-picked author to write this very book. But honestly, you and I know that a writer is really only as good as a source. And if you were to know the authenticity of any work, you really need to check out the bibliography at the back and find out where the writer got his facts. Well, who is the source? That is who John lists here. There are three of them. Notice who John says the revelation came from. Quote, from him which is which was, and which is to come. Obviously, there is only one who is eternal, and that's God. John here speaks of God in his faithfulness, the one who has always been. And notice it says, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. What in the world? Seven spirits. What are we talking about? This is the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit in its fullness. And I personally feel that this is a reference back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. You might want to jot that on your handout. Take a look at it. But I'll share it with you. It says, in the Spirit of the Lord, somebody say number one shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom. There's number two. Somebody say number two. And understanding. There's three. And the spirit of counsel. There's four. And might. 
there's five. The spirit of knowledge, there's six. And the fear of the Lord, there's seven. Isaiah 11.2 defines the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Spirit of the Lord, first of all, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, and spirit of the fear of the Lord. And from Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten, meaning firstborn of the dead, and the prince or ruler of the kings of this earth. So there we have Jesus in his fullness. After we've defined the Holy Spirit in sevenfold, we have Christ, the faithful witness, uh, meaning that he was uh, sinless in his, in, in his humanity. He was, uh, goes on to say, firstborn of the dead. That means the Savior, Son of God, ruler of the kings of the earth. That means he's the sovereign Lord of all lords, king of all kings. And now, if you let that sink in, you're going to see that this, this book right here is very Supernatural. Right? We have here a book written by an apostle who was an eyewitness of the resurrection, one that's handpicked by Christ to reveal this perfect word. And the sources, notice on your study guide, the sources this handpicked apostle used were none other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is a book revealed by God, recorded by an apostle. And now let me ask you, is that credible enough for you? It is for me. The point John is making is that the author knows what he's talking about. Because he has the best sources ever. So we have just pulled a book off the shelf, so to speak, that is supposed to reveal Jesus to us, and now we find that it is written by a close follower of Jesus who got his information from a threefold source, Jesus himself, the Father who loves Jesus, and the Spirit whose sole purpose is to glorify Jesus. You can't get any more qualified than that. So if the title and the promise of the book piques your interest, rest assured that it is accurate. It is so accurate that the end of this book comes with a severe warning. You look at the last chapter, Revelation 22. Let's jump ahead for just a moment. 18 and 19. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues, and if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall what? Take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. The authorship is reliable. The information is accurate. The title, the audience, the promise, the author. Number four, the dedication. Oftentimes when you open up a book before the writer even begins his first chapter, he'll take a little portion of a page and oftentimes he'll record a small word of dedication. Sometimes they'll say, I dedicate this book to my loving spouse 
or I dedicate this book to a colleague, or I dedicate this book to a family friend, or, or you know, this book has a dedication. Notice on your worksheet, this book was written to us, but for Jesus. As we saw last week, it was the prayer and desire of Christ that his disciples be allowed to see his glory, that his followers were to see his glory. This book is written for that purpose, namely because he deserves it. Somebody ought to say he deserves it. I mean, look at what all Jesus has done for us. Praise God. Verse 5 says, unto him that loved us. This is who John's dedicating it to. Unto him that loved us. Somebody tell me his name. Pretty obvious, isn't it? John 15, 13 says, no greater love than any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So unto him that loved us. In the Greek, it's actually present tense, not as in loved us in the past, but is still loving us presently. Because a lot of times, how many know we tend to think that God loved us sometime in the distant past? But how many know he loves us right now? Right here at Broadway Assembly tonight, God loves each of us. D.L. Moody was invited to speak to the students at Cambridge University one time. A lot of the students were in an uproar. They were furious that such a distinguished institution as Cambridge would invite an unschooled American preacher to give a lecture. Moody murdered the King's English so badly that his critics were constantly amazed at his effectiveness in preaching. In the night of Moody's speech at Cambridge, a group, a group of guys sat, they sat on the very front row in the chapel, waiting just at the right time to humiliate Moody with mocking and jeers. And just before Moody stood to preach, Ira Sankey got up and sang. And as he sung, they said the audience in that chapel grew quiet and respectful. And immediately after Ira Sankey sang, Without any introduction, Moody walked to the lectern. He pointed his finger at those young men on the front row. And this is what he said, I quote, Young gentlemen, don't ever think God don't love you, for he do. They said this was perhaps the most ungrammatical sentence ever uttered in the Cambridge University Chapel. Yet there was such power in Moody's face and his passion and in his voice that those young men in the front row listened intently as God's love was declared to them that night through the gospel message. And throughout the course of his message, Moody would repeat at different times the same phrase, don't ever think God don't love you for he do. Bad grammar, but good theology. Christ's love is present tense. It is not he did. It is not he might. It is not he will one day. He does tonight. He will tomorrow. 
And it was his love that set us free from the power of sin. Praise God. And he goes on to say, and hath made us kings. This is what John says, made us kings and priests unto God. That means he has granted us access to the Father. You remember John 16, 23? If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he'll give it you. Remember that? That's what John is reminded of here, I believe, that it was Christ who came and died for us, that he might set us free from our sins and grant us unlimited access to God. Don't you think he should receive a little credit for that? Somebody say, absolutely. That is why John says this book is dedicated to him. It says in verse 6, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the dedication of the book. It's a book written to reveal Jesus. It was written to those who are Jesus' followers. And it was written by God's hand-picked servant. And it's a book written to make sure that Christ receives all the glory that is due to him. Somebody ought to say, what a book. I'd certainly think any and all who love the Lord would be excited to read it. Okay, so we've walked in the bookstore. We've thumbed through the title. We've found that this book is about Jesus It said it was only for believers. It's promised to bless everybody that reads it. The authorship is solid. The dedication is certainly on point. And so now there's only one thing left to do. Buy the book and be blessed as you read it. But let's take a look here at the introduction, the preview. Number six, the final point, I believe, on your study uh, sheet. So what sort of stuff are we going to read and study about in this book? Well, obviously, the book carries information about Christ and the end. But how many know the central event is unmistakable? And this is where somebody should shout, spoiler alert, because John is about to give you the final score right here, right now. So you want to know what the book is about? First point, notice. A promised return. A promised return. Verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Now, Now, many at this point, they want to go on a little wild goose chase trying to figure out the symbolism of the clouds. Folks talk about, is this literal clouds, or is this what Hebrews talks about, the cloud of witnesses? Or maybe it's a symbolic angel army. And they get in this huge debate about exactly what the cloud means. You're missing the point. The point is, he's coming. Hallelujah. Obviously, the, the whole cloud thing is rather obvious. Because Acts 1.9 says they beheld him. He was taken up and a cloud received him. They stood there gazing and then the man in white appeared or the angel appeared and said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner. Okay, so he left in a cloud. He's going to come on a cloud. 
But don't get distracted by the cloud. To the church, there's no greater word of encouragement, excitement, or thrill, or anticipation than this right here. Imagine the sheer delight if someone ran in our back door here tonight and said, I see him. You can see him. He's coming down Broadway. The church, listen, we're the ones that are longing for his appearing. All throughout the New Testament, those who served the Lord anticipated his return. Believers would greet each other throughout the entire New Testament. Maranatha, meaning our Lord doth come. Non-believers, though, have mocked. Oh, it's never going to happen. You guys are a bunch of fruit loops. But here John says, oh, yes, it's going to happen. Hmm? Oh, listen tonight. How many's tired of this fallen world? I'm just, how many, is there anybody in here that's tired of this immoral system? Huh? Are you tired of the corruption and the decay and the struggle against? Anybody in here tired of sickness? Death and pain and COVID-19? Well, he's coming. I said he's coming. And if you... <laughs> Uh, this is a little too good here just to, I don't want you to strain yourself. Some of you are saying amen. Don't strain yourself. Hallelujah. So oh, let's move on here. The promised return. Number two, a promised recognition. Oh, look at this one. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. The first time he came, just as Isaiah said, they didn't recognize him. The first time he came, they accused him of being demon-possessed. They accused him of being a lunatic. That's not going to be the case this time. No one will miss this time. He's not going to slip down the back door and hide in a virgin's womb and be laid in a little manger somewhere. He will... He's not going to grow up in obscurity and announced only by a hermit in a desert called John the Baptist. He won't live in meekness followed only by weak and downtrodden. He won't suffer in shame at the hands of the godless Romans. No, 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 not this time. This time he comes, uh, he will come like you and I would have come the first time. He'll come in full glory. Somebody say full glory. Pomp and circumstance to the hilt. No Super Bowl champion, no presidential candidate has ever entered a room like Jesus is going to enter this world. Every eye shall see him. Oh, somebody ought to get a little happy right there. Every eye across every continent and every country, Russia is going to have to see him. Oh, yeah. He's going to be absolute center stage, unmissable. Hmm. How many know when every eye, when it says every eye, that means everybody. And he goes on to say, even those who rejected him. They turned the other way. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6 reminds us of those people who reject Christ. All those people who heard of Christ but deemed him unworthy 
of being the Lord of their life. All those people who heard his words, knew the truth, but decided, nah, he's not worthy to be loved and obeyed. Every one of those people is going to see him in all of his glory. They're going to see what they missed. Hallelujah. And that leads us to the third part of this preview of the book, a promised return, a promised recognition, and a promised response. All kindreds, that means tribes of the earth, will wail. They're going to mourn. Now, if you remember, Christ was pretty clear that mourning was important. He taught way back in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 4, blessed, excuse me, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Christ taught us that we should be mourning over sin so that we would find forgiveness and comfort. But there have always been those who refuse to do so. How many have ever met somebody that instead of mourning over their sin, they celebrated their sin? Boy, that's what's happening in our generation. Huh? Instead of hating their sin, they're loving it. Instead of reaching for Christ, they're pushing him away. But John says that response won't last forever. Hmm? When Christ returns, those who refuse to mourn over their sin will now mourn over their fate. There will be no doubt who is king and who is Lord, and there will be no doubt how much trouble they are in. It can be challenging. I understand. Young people, you agree. It can be challenging to live a Christ-like life in this generation. It's challenging to do some of these things like love your enemies. Huh? Well, it's just kind of anti, it just goes against the grain. I just like to give them a holy slap in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's challenging to pray for your persecutors. It's challenging to submit to corrupt governing authorities. It's challenging to turn the other cheek. See, we find within ourselves the groanings of the psalmist of the Old Testament who wrote in Psalm 90, verse 13. He said, return, O Lord. How long? You know, that's, that's the psalmist in 90, verse 13. Return, O Lord. What is taking you so long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto thy children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. See, that was, that's our cry. That is our cry too. And so John says, he's coming. He's returning. Those who rejected him will see him and everyone will know that he alone is king of kings. 
Lord of Lords. And if you want the declaration, it's here in verse 8 where he said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and ending, saith the Lord, which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's another way of saying, you can bank on it, it's going to happen. Praise God. Folks, we're running out of time. So in conclusion, I don't know if you've ever uh, picked up a book by John Phillips. He was a British Bible teacher author. He wrote several commentaries, one called Exploring Revelation. And in that book, he writes a stirring incident in uh, English history. He tells of the conquest of Richard the Lionhearted, known as Richard I. While Richard was away on one occasion in battle, his kingdom fell on bad times. He had a sly, graceless brother named John. And John steps in and usurps in, in uh, Richard's absence, usurps all the rights of the king. He steps in and he misrules the entire realm. The people of England suffered, longing for the return of Richard the lion-hearted, praying that he would return soon. And then finally one day, Richard came back. He said he landed in England and marched straight to his throne. Many tales are told. They've been woven into the legends of England, like the legend of Robin Hood. In reality, however, the challenges, they said, placed in his way by his brother John, he had messed up the realm and the kingdom so bad. But Richard came back in, marched straight to the throne, and one by one, he began to get things back in shape. The people, once he was seated on the throne, began to shout in delight. They said, bells rang out all over England. The lion-hearted was back. Long live the king. Long live the king. And I looked at that, and this author, Phillips, writes, and he takes that, and he says, one day, a king greater than Richard is going to come back and lay claim to a realm much greater than England. Those who have abused the earth in his absence, seized his domain, mismanaged his world, is going to be swept away. Oh, somebody say, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. So this book is about that day when King Jesus returns. He's going to punish his enemies. He's going to reward his followers. He's going to remove the curse of sin. Oh, hallelujah. I just can't wait. And he's going to reign forever. Somebody say it forever and ever. 
So I suppose the only question now is, are we willing to commit ourselves to reading, reading it, and heeding it? So we stand together. How many know the commitment level is up to us? John promises that if we commit ourselves to look into this book, the book of Revelation, we will be blessed. Praise God. I'm already blessed. We're just eight verses in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, here tonight, oh, we glorify you, the great King of kings and Lord of lords. Somebody slip up your hand and worship him. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If there's one here tonight that's not ready for your return, may they search their hearts. May they surrender their heart to you. Because it's going to be worth it to be on the winning side. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. For He's my Lord. Yes, He's my Lord. Can you say that tonight? He has risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Glory. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. These altars are open. You come and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you gotta go, God bless you. God be with you, keep you. Oh, he is.